time that you've given us in your presence today. Thank you, Lord, for the faithful testimonies of your people as they reach out to you for their help and you come to their rescue and aid. We're so thankful that we serve a faithful God. So we bless you and we praise you today for the many testimonies that are yet to come because of your faithfulness to us. And we honor you, Lord, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Amen. So we're thankful for all the testimonies and thankful for God's faithfulness. Amen. Nothing is better than serving God because you can count on him to come and vindicate you. You got me? There's so many situations that we will come up against the accuser of the brethren. Amen. That's all the devil likes to do. And uh, we've talked about this and we've warned people to stay in the word because that's where you insulate yourself from the accusation of the enemy. Accusation is such a common thing in the atmosphere now because you hear it on the news all the time. You hear it, I mean, it's just everywhere. Uh, people accuse each other of one thing or another and without any evidence, you know, we, we have a lot of, of evil going around and it's spread from through words. And so God has uh, taken many, many uh, decades to teach his people the power of words and how to use his word to get victory over these thing so this um, so that we won't succumb to the uh, forces of darkness so we're very very thankful that God has prepped us for that he's given us the power and authority over it and he has given us all victory amen praise God amen 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 miss Ingrid uh, look on my desk there's a um, that little pink notepad with the pink paper in it get it for my brother James and give him his pen here and so he can take notes because I'm sure he'll want to Write some things down for his remembering. Praise God. So, yeah. Um, okay, so today we're going to talk about the fact that night is coming. Amen. Night is coming. Jesus uttered these words and he talked about what we need to do in order to protect ourselves and to uh, be forewarned that night is coming. And so we, we need to fully understand that and also uh, to understand what to do because he gives us instructions. Amen. Uh, it's not just a, a cute phrase to say and a song to sing, but it's uh, it's a warning and an admonition to his people. Uh, and uh, John chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, And Jesus passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. The disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. 
He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing the neighbors therefore which they had when and they which had seen him before said is not this he who sat and begged some said this is he others said it's like him but not him therefore they said to him how were your eyes opened he answered and said a man that is called jesus made clay anointed my eyes and said to me go wash in the pool of siloam and, and i went and washed and received my sight so Really what we, we need to understand here is what Jesus is telling us about light, darkness, how much daylight do we have, how much uh, uh, time do we have to obey him and do the things he's called us to do. In other words, how much time do you have to make up your mind to get up and fulfill the Great Commission? How much time do we have? To talk to people about Christ, to share the word, and to pray for eyes to be open, to do the miracles that God has put before us to do, that he's commanded us to do. And so this is a very important question that needs to be answered because many times people tend to want to put off obeying God until they get what they want out of life. Got me? Well, I gotta get married first, I gotta go to college first, I gotta get a good job first, I gotta get my kids first, gotta do this first and that first. And uh, it's sad to say that very many Christians go on to glory without having done anything or very little to fulfill the Great Commission. Because what do we do? We settle for, well, at least I go to church, at least I give, at least I do this. Many don't even do that. They go when they feel like it. And they're not faithful and committed. And God's covenant provides that we be faithful and committed people. I mean, there's there's no greater commitment to God than to obey his word and to be a faithful believer. Amen. And so because we want God to be faithful to us. So, you know, with a lot of people, they don't care. You know, they're just nominal Christians. They don't really take a lot of things to heart. They're both basically selfish. They just want to, they go to the place that's popular or they go to the place they see on television. They brag about it. And to them, that's Christianity. God's talking about believers. He's talking about people who believe all of his word and obey his word. He's talking about people who really take him seriously and take him to heart. And those people he refers to as the light of the world. He said he is the light. Amen. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And we got to understand that about ourselves too. As long as you're here, you're light. When you leave here, you got me? You can't do anything about what's down here anymore. So we've got to understand we have a certain amount of allotted time to do the works of Jesus, a certain amount of allotted time to fulfill the Great Commission, a certain amount of allotted time to make ourselves available to what God wants us to do. And that's every day. You know, you know, I had somebody I made a phone call. I think I had to pay a bill that, that, you know, a credit card that I had. And they said, oh, while you're on the phone, can we, can we, uh, um, have you listened to a, a brief 
you know, pitch, a sales pitch is what it was, telling you about a, something we are offering you, et cetera, et cetera. And the person was saying, well, you know, it's a time, it's a, a, a vacation, free vacation to somebody, nice vacation spot. And I said, I haven't had a vacation. <laughs> I don't have time for that. And I'm serious. I mean it. To be honest with you, I've been on a no vacation time since we moved to Detroit. And that was in the early 90s. I don't do vacation. You got me? You know why? Now you do it if you want to. Don't get under condemnation. Don't do anything. But I'm telling you for me, I know I got limited time to do what God put me here. Vacation is not included in it. You do what you do. But I'm telling you for me, I understand the time constraint that I'm under. I understand the time constraint. And the really the time constraint comes many times because we got too many Christians going on vacation. Because it's a tight priority for many people. I've earned a vacation. I work hard. I do this. You justify it all you want to. But I'm telling you what I know in my heart for me. Amen. I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. And I have a sensitivity to understanding timing and the encroachment of darkness. Isaiah 60, remember that? 61, gross darkness covers the face of the earth, but his glory is revealed in his people. How is it revealed from us doing the works of God? Not sloughing off, not saying, oh, I owe myself this, oh, I'm so tired, i got to have to say, oh, I'm going to do this, here I am. And now people say, well, I witnessed the people on vacation. Seriously? I see your pictures on Facebook. <laughs> you, know? you got this cocktail in your hand and this, you know what I said? Right, yep, yeah, right, 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 right. But I'm telling you now, like I said, if that's cool, if you have peace about what you do with your time, go for it. But I'm telling you for me. And I'm telling you that there are many people that don't have the luxury of taking off. You know, just abandon the whole thing and go here and go there. When I have free time. I find out what God, God, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with that? What do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with that? What do you want me to do with that? It's not God, I need a vacation. Give me some money. Oh, Barb, don't be so hard. No, I'm giving you a slice of reality of what Jesus, how he lived his life. And if we are sons and daughters of God, we should be imitators of Christ, like dear children, like the word says. Now, if your little family's going to have a fit and disown you and give you a hard time if you don't let them drag you along with them. You understand what I'm saying? You do what you do. But I'm telling you, darkness is encroaching upon the earth at a rapid speed. You see how they live in the coastal areas. I was listening to a prophecy that uh, was passed down through uh, a group of prophets about judgment coming to coastal areas. 
there's no it's no uh accident that people are drawn towards certain cities and they all tend to be coastal cities look at the way our elections go uh, in uh, new york and california it's always liberal amen the liberals always win there those are coastal areas um tel aviv israel they say is known as the homosexual capital of the world. There are places in Thailand, that's almost an island, where pedophilia is, is commonly kid children are traded. Very, very wealthy people take their vacations there. When you see the roll call of the people who were missing from that tsunami that hit over there a few years ago, that was a warning to them. You understand what I'm saying? But many times people don't heed the warnings. Coastal areas are very vulnerable to flooding. They're very vulnerable to isolation. All of these things. And so when you see certain spirits gathering together and drawing people. I remember uh, Chuck made the statement one time. She was saying, yes, yeah, she said, this guy, uh, um, uh, you know, he's... Uh, he was saying, she was a young man. She wanted us to pray for him. She said, you know, I worked with him. You know, she said he has AIDS. She said, you know, we saw them all going out to San Francisco years ago. Now they all coming back home again because they're sick. You got me? And so these are our spiritual hubs of certain kinds of darkness that are allowed to freely, uh, um, roam in these areas and control thought and control the activity of the people that's why you see so few people you see them living with a lot of immorality a lot of uh, pedophilia uh, women being raped and molested and, and all of that kind of they live with that why because it's so rampant there it has protection there. It has cover there. It has everything it needs to thrive and survive but God. And so you see some prophecies are, are, are predicting that God is going to deal very harshly with these areas. The fact that you get AIDS from, uh, you know, immoral lifestyle is not judgment. It's warning. Because God's allowed mercy now for AIDS victims. They can get medication. Some of them are living longer. He's not letting them live long to continue to to be sinners. You understand? He's letting them live long so that he can see their goodness so they can repent and come to him. And so it's a very, darkness is really, really encroaching. It's really, really pushing. It's really, really uh um you know, it's it's increasing because the darkness is not a a small darkness. It's gross darkness. It's gross. When babies get pulled apart in the womb and the parts stacked up and counted, that's gross. When children are smuggled across open borders throughout the world for for human sacrifice. And, and, and child predators, that's gross. And so we have to examine these things against what we do as believers. 
And like I say, I'm not putting anybody under condemnation. But I'm saying, if you know you're limited in the amount of time you have to to shine the light, what do you do? What do you do? And that's what Jesus was up against here. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me. You're not here just on your own volition. You didn't come here by your own will. You didn't get saved by your own will. You're here by the will of God. And so he says, because the night is going to come and you won't be able to do anything about anybody. And that's what I look at. Lord, I don't want to be caught when the night comes. Because when that comes, we won't be able to do anything. Now, what does that mean for us in reality? What does night mean? Night may mean that we would have to live like people in many of the persecuted nations that we pray for. Underground churches. Not being able, because it's impinging on the church now. We've got councils of believers, so-called, of Christians, nominal Christians, who are now saying that you must marry gay people. That they, you must have gay people as pastors in their churches. You must do. If that's not darkness impinging on us, I don't know what is. People don't want you to worship God. They don't want you to pray at your desk. They don't want you to do anything like that. Are you kidding me? You don't think darkness is, and you don't think we should be busier working the works of him? He said, yeah, there's going to come a time when no man can work. Not me, not you, not anybody. So he wasn't just talking about himself after his death. He was talking about the whole body of Christ. Said so there's gonna come a time. And I don't think that necessarily means the rapture when we leave. That may mean while we're still here, our hands may be tied to do the works of God. So he says, you better get busy while it's light. Huh? Before the government comes and takes everything away from you and you can't do anything, you better work the works. Why do you think pre- people talk so bad about President Trump? He's the only one that goes to the White House and say, uh, we serve God. We don't serve government here. Huh? Every child that's born is a gift from Almighty God. Huh? Now people say, well, he's a hypocrite. Look at how he lives. Well, how did you live before you got saved? Are we Christians? Do we really believe our sins are forgiven? Or are we going to go and accuse people forever like the devil does? Leave people alone. What he did, what's in his heart is between him and God. Listen to his words. Amen. I say, thank God somebody's willing to speak for Christians from the highest office in this country where they've been silent before. Amen. They'll speak up for Muslims. They'll speak up for every other kind of group there is, but they won't speak up for God's people. And it's about time it stopped. See, every Christian said, we've been praying for somebody. We we want somebody in the White House is going to do what God wants them to do. Okay, you got somebody. We don't want him. You see what I'm saying? And so this is how it works, folks. There's such darkness. Okay. Bible says, be careful when all men speak well of you. <laughs> if they're willing to accuse you, you must have something going on. Something in God going on. So he says, I've got to get busy, folks. I don't have time for this. 
What doesn't he have time for? What does not he have time for? And what does he have time for? Well, it says here the disciples, verse 2, is what he doesn't have time for. The disciples ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You don't have time for that either. You know what that is? Jesus steps right in the middle of his disciples' religion. And he tells them, neither of them sinned. Oh, wait a minute now. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Hmm. Verse 2, Jesus asked him, and the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Neither. 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 When you go to God and you ask him for healing, is your sin an issue? If you've repented of it, it's not. You got me? Until you've repented of it, it could stop you, but only until you repent. So what Jesus is saying to them, he says, the reason that I'm going to heal him is for my glory. And that's true of everything that God does. He does it for his glory and not because somebody sinned, somebody didn't sin. You don't get healed because you're good or you're not good. You don't get healed because you deserve it. You don't get healed. You get healed because you believe. And all Jesus was there was offering people like the the disciples who thought they were better than everybody. And this poor man who was a beggar, he offers everybody the opportunity to believe. If you believe, it's counted to you as righteousness. So what's the quest, what's the purpose of going back through somebody's family history trying to find out who did what to whom and what could be responsible for the pitiful condition that they're in there's no point to it because Jesus says when the glory of God shows up it takes care of everything that's wrong with anybody you got me and so he says this guy I'm I'm approaching this man right here so that God can get some glory out of his life because the devil's been making a mockery of his life ever since he's been born. So relief from suffering, deliverance and healing come to you not based on who did what and how you got in the condition that you're in, but based on God's mercy, his glory and his desire to glorify himself through your life. That's all you got to know about anybody you walk up to and want to pray for them. That as long as God gives you the unction to minister to them, it is for his glory and his glory alone. 
I was talking to a young lady that, you know, was, oh, I don't do this right. And you see, I came, I didn't wine, 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 wine. I said, do you know none of that makes any difference to God? None of it. Your faults, what you did wrong, what you can't stand, all this kind, it doesn't mean anything to God. His mercy and his blood are bigger than your sin. It's bigger than your uh, mistakes that you make. It's bigger. Why are you letting that hinder you from believing God to get you a job and get you a place to live? And all? why are you letting that? I said, have you repented of your sins? Well, yeah. Uh, then you got to believe you're cleansed. That's your job to do. Your job is to believe it. You're not just saying, I'm sorry, and then go on with your with your life of of deprivation and wickedness, when you get forgiven, you're cleansed. There's nothing wrong with you anymore. There's nothing standing between you and God. There's no barriers anymore. I said, it's your job to stay in the word until that's real to you. That's the work that you do. And so we have to understand that God has made provision for that. Why would he leave us, count our sins against us? We could never get healed. You could never get a job. You could never get any blessings or benefits. What kind of salvation is that? So Jesus tells them, he says, neither one. In other words, you religious minded people are barking up the wrong tree. Religion always barks up the wrong tree. Always sitting trying to figure out why somebody's like this and what did they do wrong and who sinned and who didn't sin and all this kind of stuff that was taken care of at Calvary. If you can get people to the foot of the cross, you can get them anything they need in life. The works that Jesus came to do are the same works that he gave us to do. We talk about it as fulfilling the great commission. That includes healing, casting out devils by the power of God. Religion cannot do this. So Jesus sets out to pit the power of God against religion. With him it was always a showdown. He'd go right in the middle of the Pharisees camp and go right in there and heal somebody. He'd go right in there and deliver somebody. He did what he did right in the devil's face to show him, to demonstrate the power of God as being superior to the religion which is void of power. Religion is a form of godliness that is void of power. Working in the light of God employs the power of the anointing. So when we work in the light of God, Jesus said we are the light of the world as well as he. So if we're the light of the world, that light is the power of God. That light is emanating from God's spirit. That light is the Holy Spirit. And it shines on darkness. Darkness is confused by it. Darkness cannot comprehend it. And darkness cannot stop it. All the child of God has to do is stand their ground in God. Amen. 
Just stand your ground in God. Make your declaration, make your confession, and allow God to have something to work with on your behalf. Amen? If you go around moping and whining and scared and lamenting and, oh, I can't lose my job. Hmm? Well, that's the first thing the devil wants you to compromise on. If you, if you're afraid of losing your job, that means you don't think God gave it to you. Cause whatever he does lasts forever anyway. Devil can't take what God gives you unless you let him take it. And so when, when we understand that, that we have nothing to fear. Jesus said, don't fear him that can, can kill a body only, but fear the one that can kill your body and put your soul in hell. Amen. So fear the right person with the right power. So when we work in the light of God, we employ the anointing of God. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, the spirit, 418, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. And we preach about certain things. Amen. Let me go there because people talk about, we got an anointing for this and an anointing for that and a, you know, they say that because they don't have this one. You ever hear people say, oh, there's an anointing for houses in here. And there's an anointing for prosperity in here. And there's anointing for, no, let's get this one. Let me have this one. No, thank you on that one. Okay. You might excuse me while I pass up on that thing you're talking about right there and go for this one. Because this one I know I can have. I don't know about all the other ones you're talking about, but. It says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach it so it's preaching healing deliverance to captives. Recovering of sight to the blind. You're going to open blind eyes. People who couldn't see what God was doing before can see it now. And to set at liberty those who are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, it's here for you now. Amen. It's here for you now. There's no waiting on it. So when the anointing shows up, that means there's no waiting on anything. Huh? All this talk about get ready, get ready. I don't even know what we're supposed to get ready for and I don't know if it ever showed up. But anything that will promise you something way off in the future, you say, "Mm, excuse me, no thank you. I think this is the acceptable year of the Lord for me to do this. It's the acceptable year of of the Lord for me to preach to anybody. It's not a thing that's coming. It's a thing that's here. You have to realize that. You do everything by faith. You take, if you think your anointing is just small, you take the little bit you have and preach it to, to, you can't preach it no more. And ask God for more. God, I know there's more. I haven't seen blind eyes opened yet. I know there's more. Amen. I haven't seen this yet. I know there's more. I haven't seen limbs grow out yet. I know there's more. Send more, please. Hmm? We're always scared what it's going to cost us to get more. That's why many times God lets us get backed up into a corner where we can't do anything else but beg for something else. Uh, where disciples, what did they do? They were, they healed that man outside the gate beautiful and then they got arrested. The religious people again dragged them off, 
to their little high court, began to accuse them. They got let go, but the minute they got back to their little group in the house church, they said, we better pray. Huh? And what did the church pray for them? More boldness. No, you don't get a vacation, Peter. You got to get more boldness. You don't get sent to a, an easy area. You need more boldness. <laughs> you didn't, you only had a, a, a six shooter the first time. You need your AK-47 for these religious crazy people. Just mow them all down with the word. So anyway, Jesus, he says, I've got to do this while it's day. The night's gonna come. And see, when, when he says the works of him that sent me, he's not working for him. He's not, it's, in other words, it's not up to us to decide if and when we want to do stuff for God. We are sent by God to do what we do. So it's up to him where we go, who we talk to, how we do things. Henry Groover, the prayer walker, started out by, he, he he knew he needed to do more for God. He kind of would put God off to a degree. You know, God, I want to finish school. I want to be an engineer. I want to do this, do that. So he had got himself so um, committed with his studies and left little time for him for church. He said he used to go to church on Friday nights, but it was so late when he got finished, whatever, whatever, he didn't have time. So he said he talked to God about it and he said, God, I want to, I want to be there. He said, but the school keeps me this, that, and the other. God, I promise you, I will pass out a hundred gospel tracks every Saturday night. So he said, first Saturday night, he passed out three. He said, because there was a curfew in the town. I mean, this was back in the 40s or 50s, I think probably the 50s when or 60s, early 60s. And they had like blue laws where you couldn't have bars. You know, you can only have bars open until maybe midnight or something like that. But all the businesses shut down and they didn't open again until Monday. They were closed all weekend. And so um, he said that gave him a short amount of time. So the next Friday, he not only had... Uh, the hundred he needed to pass out that Friday, but he had 97 extra ones from the Friday before he didn't pass out. And so in that, in that situation, he cried out to the Lord and God gave him the formula for his ministry. And from that, his ministry took off. God sent him around the world to walk over all of the earth. Uh, to remit sins and bring people to repentance and give people a chance to receive Christ in their lives, uh, before, you know, before it's too late. Amen. He says he walks, he has walked 54 countries around the world. Amen. Worn out many pairs of boots. He's been in jungles. He's been in all kinds of situations, but he still fulfilled his contract with God. He stayed away. God gave him, um, I think when he, he had been married maybe like 18 years or so before he started. 54 years he walked. Oh, 54 countries. I forgot how many years, 40 years. So he was like in his mid thirties. When he started his prayer walks around the earth. And so he, he was gone away from his family 10 months out of the year. 
He would take small breaks, come back and visit. He had 13 children. But he had a very godly woman for a wife. You understand what I'm saying? So that allowed him, and in agreement with his wife always, he was able to take the assignments that God gave him to to do all around the world. He's met very interesting people, what we would call interesting, but they're just people to him. He's met kings. He's met uh, the uh, the um, Tibetan Buddhist monks and all people like that, and prayed for them and shared Christ with them. And it's he's not meeting people to say I met somebody. He's meeting people on assignment from God. That's the big difference between religion which is void of power and the servants of God in the church. We go on assignment from God to do the works of him that sent us, not to come back and say all the important people we met. I think that's such an affront to God to come back and say, well, I was, I'm Justin Bieber's pastor. Or I prophesied to Michael Jackson. Or if you prophesy to me, do you tell everybody you prophesy? No, I'm not as important as Michael. Really? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's very easy to lose your spiritual edge when you work for God. When he starts to elevate you and put you around people, you got to see all people as the same. You can't see yourself as, oh, what a great honor, what a great honor. And I, I run and tell everybody who you spoke to or preached to or who was in your audience when you preached and all that kind of stuff. Got to stay out of that. You are working for him. So we are to work the works of him who sent us. We are sent on a mission in this earth. Amen. So Jesus tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So when you belong to God, everybody knows it. He makes everybody know it. Amen. Walking in the spirit makes it more so. When we walk in the spirit, it means to walk as Jesus did. When you walk in the spirit, you walk, number one, as a son and a daughter of God. A son and a daughter of God. I don't, I didn't say child of God. Son or daughter of God. Son or daughter really denotes a familiar, uh, familial, familial, yeah, relationship that implies an inheritance. If you're just a child, it doesn't denote very much. But if you're a son or a daughter, for instance, if you, if you, um, had a will, you didn't leave anything to your children, they have a right to contest it. Because even the law recognizes them as your rightful heirs. Amen. Uh, in, in, and it's the same way with us in the family of God. We are sons and daughters of God. Amen. He also walked as a friend of mankind. So when you walk in the spirit, you are a son of God. In other words, you're to imitate God in everything you do. You're an imitator of Christ. You're also a friend of mankind, which means that you have a covenant of peace with all humanity. That's much different than what we see in the world, folks. 
people in the world you see nations pitted against nations because their ideologies are different. They're not friends with one another. But in Christ we're all friends. That's why you can go anywhere around the world and come into a worship service and you're welcome and you're, you know, as long as God runs the service. Now we got some religious places that they don't want you. Even Christian religious places. Amen. It was a, an embarrassment to the church for many, many decades because of segregation in the church. You couldn't, you, and people were threatened, uh, Oral Roberts were threatened to have his meetings bombed because he, he didn't dis- separate blacks from whites. Everybody came to his meetings. He was threatened to be killed so many, that man was so persecuted for simple things he did. We take it for granted now, but you don't know the price other people have paid to establish that as a right for us to do. You understand what I'm saying? Same thing with A.A. A. Allen, Shambach, all of them, the, you know, the, he, the healing, um, evangelists and people like that from, from back in the early days. They all suffered persecution because they didn't put up with that nonsense. The reason Azusa Street was so successful is because there was no racial discrimination there. Whenever you discriminate against people, you're gonna, you're gonna see the power of God lessen and lessen. He don't like that stuff. And he's not going to abide there. You'll get religion. And that's what, see, that's what people have substituted as Christianity. That's why many times Christians get the handle of being racist. That's been over us for I don't know how long. But that hasn't been true Christianity. That's been religion. A form of godliness with no power. Because God's not going to honor if your heart's filled with anger and hatred towards somebody. Get real. And so when, when, when the, the, uh, um, uh, integration, so to speak, or lack of discrimination started to take hold in the church was the first thing they showed up. More power. You got that right. And it fell on everybody. Huh? And, and really it hasn't been that long ago, folks, that, that they've gotten rid of that devil out of churches in places because I heard Jimmy Swaggart preach that he didn't think blacks and whites should marry. You understand what I'm saying? And so you got people hanging around now that were steeped in that nonsense. You understand what I'm saying? They fell. He's not nearly the person he used to be. Amen. When he first started and he's a good minister. He got a good faithful message, but that racism hung up in his brain. He never eliminated it. It gets to be your downfall. And the amazing thing, he didn't fall because of that. He fell because of something else. But see, the devil will get you with anything he can when you give him access to your heart. And so we have to remember those things, folks. You, you can't just, uh, ignore those things as being okay. You got me? Uh, and it's okay. God understands. He doesn't understand sin. That's why he eradicated it. Amen. So it, Jesus walked as a son of God and as a friend to mankind. That means you got to be friends with everybody. You, you've got to open your heart. Even to people who don't have the same religion. You have to be as compassionate toward them as you are toward a brother or sister in the Lord. Amen. So he also walked as a compassionate servant. He had compassion on people who had a need. 
He walked humbly before God and before man. Amen. Humble means he was approachable. He didn't have an entourage beating people back so that he didn't get contaminated by you common people. And his life was a sacrifice from birth until death. Amen. Every day he he walked the earth, his life was offered up. He didn't do anything of his own. Didn't have any ideas of his own except to please the Father. So Jesus has to daily fight the darkness of religion in order to do the works of the Father. And that's what we have to do. We have to fight all the works of darkness, including religion. As the light of the world, we are limited to the works in Luke chapter 4, 18. So you're not allowed to add to the works. Now we all know that we do compassionate things. Uh, feeding the poor. You know what I'm saying? And, and things of that nature. Providing clothing for people who don't have anything like that. But always do it in the name of the Lord. Don't do it in your name or the name of your charity that you work for. Do those things in the name of the Lord. And so that's why I've always, if I'm going to support a charity, I support one that is a Christian charity and preaches the gospel. Not put the gospel on the back burner and just start giving away things and people think it's just coming from nowhere. But you have to have the stamp of God on it and you have to ask God how to reach these people. With the gospel and with his love. And God will show you a way to do it. I know in Cleveland where we pass out bread, you know, we have a building. Uh, people have limited incomes, fixed incomes. There are a lot of disabled people, retirees, social security benefit people uh, in that building. And we started praying with them, you know, just spontaneously at first. Now we do it regularly. Come down if you want prayer and we put the bread on the table at the side and we have people line up to pray with everybody and they pray with people. So now people want prayer. Now they want God involved and they're not just coming. And this is the interesting thing. One of the, there's a man who lives there and he decided he would help us out and organize table and a place for us to put the bread out and do all of those things. And so uh, when we're finished passing out the bread, there's always bread left. And so we asked him one time, well, what do we do with, we don't want to leave a mess here. He said, oh, they'll come down and get it. He said, they always do. He said, them the ones that don't want prayer. Said they don't want God, but they want the bread. So they wait for y'all to leave and they come down and get it. So so what we told him, I said, well, we're going to lay hands on you. So when they come down, you can pray for them. He's telling them the prayer is still being offered. So, so anyway, so there are ways to get because everybody wants God. They think they don't want God or they rebellious. They, you know, a lot of times people don't have means to take care of themselves because they don't listen to nobody. They're rebellious, hard headed, don't don't. Don't really uh, listen to wisdom. Fight everything. I don't have to go to church. 
huh? You want to say something to him, but you don't. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, no, brother, you don't. There's an alternative, though. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on now. So we need to understand Jesus was not religious at all. He Because you know what? Religion indicates you're there for you. You make up stuff, you pretend, you do things for appearances, that's, that's for you. When you're a humble person and you're a servant of God, you do things for God, the anointing will come upon you. You understand what I'm saying? You're, it, it matches where your heart is. So the anointing is drawn to you from the condition of your heart and also from the, the honor that you give to God's word. And do you believe God's word? Amen. And so, and your submission to God and what he tells you to do. God will always tell you to connect with a fellowship of believers. You got me? Headed by fivefold ministry gifts. That's the structure of his church. He's not going to tell you just stay at home and watch TV, Christian television, then go out and start your own ministry. That's not how it's done. Amen. What did the centurion? Centurion had better sense than the religious people. Huh? <laughs> he told Jesus, Jesus, he wanted his servant healed. <laughs> Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, no, you know what? Don't bother. I got so much unclean stuff going on in my house. I wouldn't even let a holy man know I live like that. So he's hiding. His lifestyle from Jesus. But in his mind, he thinks, he said, mm, this ain't going to stop me. You know what I'm going to do? He said, I've seen how this guy operates. And he told Jesus, he said, no, you just speak the word. Huh? You don't have to come to my nasty house. Because my girlfriend up on the second floor, my wife downstairs with the kids, you know, I got... All kind of hell going on up in there. But I also got a servant I care a lot about and he's sick and he needs to be healed. How do I solve this problem? So this man reasons out in his heart, in his mind. He said, hmm. He said, I've seen how this man operates. He said, he tells, uh, he said, he's a man under authority. He said, because I tell a servant to do this and that and he doesn't. I've seen him tell demons to do this. And they go, be healed, it gets healed. He said, that's authority. He said, I understand that. Huh? He had a lot of sins in his life, but he was under authority. He did one thing right. And that opened up the door for faith to tell Jesus to speak the word only. And his servant would be healed. It's a lot of people living in darkness, folks. It's got a lot of smarts about God. You understand what I'm saying? They just sometimes from observing, observing more than we do. Sometimes they pay more attention to things than the average Christian does. (laughs) So Jesus, we say, is not religious. He's spiritual. That's why. He put an end to the religious discussion of the disciples. Now these were his students. Sometimes students are the biggest offenders. They study in the world, but word, but they want to know everything. 
studying the word from the master, but they want to challenge the master's knowledge. So it's like, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, I've got a question here for you. Who sinned? This is a deep question, so you got to get deep in order to, and who sinned? Him or his parents? And Jesus goes like this, bam, neither one. That's what you do to religious thoughts when they come to your mind. You knock them out immediately with the word of God. Or you'll be standing there asking stupid questions too. You got me? Like Jesus is saying, anybody got, nobody got time for this. <laughs> Religious stupidity. <laughs> I got time. He said, do you know darkness is coming real quick? I got time to talk to y'all about this stupidity. Put that away. He rebuked them a lot for their religion and their carnality and fighting over who was going to be first, who's going, who's the right hand, who's the left, whatever, whatever. So like we haven't even gotten there yet, guys. And when we get there, it won't be important to you at all what side you sit on. You're just going to be glad to get in the door. Oh. So he told the disciples neither. Which means you are on the wrong road. Stop. In other words, when you start to try and figure out if somebody has sin in their life. Or if they're born again. Or if they did this or did that. You're on the wrong road. You're not the one passing out the mercy for the healing. Jesus is. If somebody comes up to you and they're obviously sick. If God leads you that means open your mouth and say only what he says. You don't give people 20 questions about their family history. Huh? Listen, I've been around a lot of years in the early days of deliverance ministry. They'd ask people who, what the grandfather did and what the father did and the, you know, like a psychological questionnaire. I said, we're not psychologists, we're ministers. You either got something or you don't. If you don't have anything, don't try to fish with people. I've seen more people messed up with more fear of demons from that type of stuff. Now some people with honest mistakes, they were seeking wisdom and knowledge from God. And when they get down those roads, they find out there's nothing there. If they're humble, they'll turn around and come back. But many of them stay on them crazy roads. No, you part. You're either anointed to take care of it or you're not. If you're not anointed, admit it and go somewhere and sit down. Quit looking for people to minister to. Ask God to bring them to you. It's a big difference. Huh? God tells you he's going to do something. Let him do it. It's like, you know, women, I'm praying for a husband, but they're looking too. He didn't tell you to look. He said a man who finds a wife. You just want to be found. You don't go looking. You go looking. You might find something. You might find something. Hmm? 
All religion wants to do is place blame, accuse, and keep people in bondage. That's all finding out who sin is going to do. Is place the blame, keep people in bondage. Why do children of light participate in darkness? So Jesus tells them, stop, don't go any further with this nonsense. He says, this one's for the glory of God. Oh, you mean God made him blind? I didn't say that. I said it's for the glory of God. See, religion makes you see. You see how religion thinks it still wants to place blame. It still wants to find why. It still wants to. It just keeps digging (laughs) in the dark hole. So let's cut it out. After you're healed, it doesn't matter how you got sick. It really doesn't matter. Well, you know, people say things like, now this is intellectual people, way above us. Well, I need to know for prevention. Why would you need prevention when you have the cure? I'll tell you what the prevention is. Go and sin no more. Lest a worse thing come to you. It has nothing to do with how you got sick. Just go sin no more. Well sometimes you need to. No you don't. You're, you're healed. Jesus is telling you how to keep your healing. Don't sin no more. You understand what I'm saying? It's real simple. You've been given a gift. Why are you picking it apart? Here we get the, oh yes. This is breast cancer awareness. Used to be a month, now it's all year long. There's, People don't know how to let go of stuff. What does that mean? Awareness. Awareness. Well, how aware do you want to be of it? You want to get it? Now listen folks, I'm just, I'm just an innocent soul here trying to understand what they mean by awareness. Well, you know, you just have to, what? You just have to know. I mean, you gotta get, uh, uh, mammograms. You mean the things that are causing women cancer? Well, you know it doesn't do it all, but it's worth, no, it's not. It's worth it to me to get in my word. Because I have the answer right here. I have the antidote. It's not coming to my house. I'm not worried about it. I don't need to be aware of it because it's not for me. I need to be aware of what's for me. Cancer is not for me. So I don't need to be aware of it. Huh? 
my little doctor and she scared of me. I had to turn myself in for high blood pressure. So, you know, she's, oh, she lost a little bit of weight. You know, like I committed some, some great crime, a little bit. Every time I do something to the positive, a little bit. But never enough for these people. Well, I just want to remind you, I have to mark you down as refusing the, the, the cancer exam. I said, yes, ma'am, mark me down as refusing. Right. When I'm at the funeral home in my coffin, I'll send you a note that says she still refuses. <laughs> if it ain't for you, it ain't for you. I don't worry about hell. Why? Because hell is not for me. I'm saved. Why would I sit up and worry about something that I'm not scheduled for? When the light is here, it's greater than the darkness, always more powerful. It eradicates darkness. It chases darkness away. Darkness and everything that's born out of darkness must flee when light shows up. So that's why we pray for people. That's why we lay hands on the sick and expect them to be healed. That's why we do what we do. So we can push darkness out of its place of trying to dominate everything. Religion hates this kind of love. Religion is tied up in how you look and who's important. And I went to uh, uh, prophet so-and-so. Oh, he ain't a prophet no more. He a bishop now, girl. Oh, yeah, I got to. Give me a break. Religion prefers to discuss questions that don't have an answer. Like why is somebody sick? Those questions never have an answer. Why would God tell you why you're sick? Are you going to go back and undo what you did? But there is a remedy. And that is to confess it to God and go forward and be healed. God never compels us to go backwards you got me and fix things now he may open the door for repentance and reconciliation that's totally different folks we have a ministry of reconciliation where we carry a forgiveness of sins in our hearts you got me if you, there's somebody in your life, past, present, or future, where God might open up the door for you to, to go to them in love and, and tell them I'm a Christian now and, and, uh, would you please forgive me? Certain things like, I had a girlfriend who, um, had, was ostracized by her family. She's a sweet Christian girl when I met her, but she was on drugs for years and she had, in adultery, she had messed up her whole family. All the women in the family hated her. She slept with their husbands. And she said, you know, I prayed for years and years. And she said, God just really closed the door 
for me to have any contact with them. And I said, well, Lord, if it ever happens that they're willing to forgive me, I'm open to do it. I'm asking you if I can have that. You understand? This is totally different than trying to go back and figure out why you got this sickness now and undo what you did. It's totally different. Reconciliation is different than forgiveness of sins and accepting your covenant of health, divine health. Don't ever let the devil dispute you on the fact that you are healed. Don't put up with his nonsense. And don't let him dispute you that you can offer healing to anybody. Amen. We had a healing school one year at the conference. These two lesbians walk in. And uh, the one of them had, uh, she was on a cast. And, and, you know, my heart goes out to people. Well, you know, sick people anyway. But, you know, I want to see broken limbs and that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, God easily heals people that way when I pray for them. And so I'm looking, <laughs> looking at this cast. And I look at her. She looks like a man and... I'm saying, now wait a minute. <laughs> She's your friend. He brought her in. So I said, Lord, I'm just not going to even try to figure that out. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to pray for said person. So I prayed for her and God healed her. She was in a lot of pain. She couldn't stand up on that foot with that cast. When she got up and God, after I laid hands on her, God healed her and she could stomp that. I said, well, stomp it like you hurting the devil with. And she stomped it and, you know, and I was scared to let her give her testimony. But I asked her anyway. I said, what happened with your foot? You know, and she said, oh, I, I was running from somebody and I jumped out of a window. I said, I don't want to hear no more. I said, well, praise God. He healed you from your broken foot from jumping out. I don't know what happened. But you see the love of God, it surpasses what we feel for people and it knocks the darkness out of us so we can let his love come through and we can treat people like he would want us to treat them. Amen. Like there's nothing wrong with them. And so that's the power of the anointing. Anointing is just not the power to to do all of these things, but it's the power to do them in you too. And take care of your little religion and your craziness sometimes. So, uh, so anyway, since the light is here, we know it's greater than the darkness of people's sin. Man, religion hates it when you say things like your sin is not an issue to God. What do you mean? That's what I said. Amen. If it wasn't, his son wouldn't have died if it's still an issue. Something else would have to happen. For it to be taken care of. But since Jesus died and gave his life and his blood in exchange for our sin. We've had an exchange that's happened. So you accept him into your heart. And he forgives you of your sin. Period. Past, present and future. So uh, religion hates forgiveness. And it hates the healing love of God. Because religion wants everybody to work for everything. Look at the Muslim religion. They don't know that they're going to heaven. They don't even know there's a heaven to go to. But they're working on it. If they kill so many Christians, they think they'll get in. And if, you know, I mean, it's rough. 
it's very rough. You gotta know the type of demon that's out there against the love of God. Amen. But people can be won over by the love of God. Many Muslims that hear the gospel repent and come to Christ. Amen. We can see the same thing happen here. Amen. Religion likes to discuss things because discussion takes no power. Everybody's got a mouth. So you can try and prove what's true by winning an argument. That's why they're so argumentative, religious people are. Let's just do that. Let's try to overpower you with their words. Amen. Religion likes to clash with light. The disciples knew that Jesus would wind up healing this young man. But they figured they'd intervene and try to sound knowledgeable, intellectual, get the attention away from him. Got me? Find an exception to the healing love of God. There is no exception. Everybody's healed if they'll receive it. Amen. In verse 16, you see an old argument. The Pharisees said, this man is not of God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Thank God the law is not more powerful than the love of God. The love of God created the law of the Sabbath. Amen. But by the time the Pharisees started adding to it, it had taken on a whole different meaning than what God meant it to do. For instance, the priesthood always breaks the Sabbath because we work on the Sabbath day. You got me? It was illegal to work. But there's always that exception when you work for God. So in order for them to say Jesus is not of God, they would have to disqualify him as a priest. So that's what that was all about. He's just an ordinary man running around here working on the Sabbath. They never wanted to acknowledge him as who he proved himself out to be. That is the son of God. But he also was a prophet of God because he moved in the power of God. And he preached. But he was also a priest. It's a higher order than what they were accustomed to. Amen. Bible says that he was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Who had no beginning, no end, no mother, no father. He just appeared. Amen. So God always has servants like that in the earth. They just appear. Let's come. Uh People like to disqualify you based on who you know and who allows you to do things. What the Pharisees asked Jesus, um, who told you you could do this? How did you get this power? By whose power are you doing these things? Amen. When I came here from Cleveland, people asked me, who's your covering? Who's your bishop? Who's your this? Who's your that? You know, I'm a high priestess after the order of Melchizedek. I have no beginning, no end, no covering, no up, no down, no. 
I'm here by command of God. And I don't answer to you. When God sends you, you answer to anybody. You understand what I'm saying? What else you want to know? God sent me. What else you want to know? Nothing else is important. Once you know God sent you, nothing else is important. But you got to be sent, okay? I'm not talking about Facebook sent, okay? I'm talking about real sent. <laughs> With a message, a commission, and an anointing. So, man. So, they clash with him about obeying religious rules. Not about the rules of God's kingdom. So this healing on the Sabbath continues to be an accusation against Jesus. It followed him all of his life. Amen. Darkness continues to question the light because it can't understand the light. So you're wasting your time answering the questions of the religious. Huh? Hmm. I just tell people, I said, you know what? I said, I don't need a covering. God call me. Well, I know he calls everybody, but I said, but what? Well, I'm just saying, you know, people are going to ask you. I said, you mean like you? (laughs) I eat demons like you for lunch. Let's keep it moving. So religion, when religion sets in, darkness is upon us. The more religious the church of the Lord Jesus Christ gets, the more darkness sets in. You've got people who are having what they call seeker-friendly services where they don't preach the gospel anymore. They said, we don't want to offend people and drive them out of here. So when you see that trademark, you don't want to offend That's religion. And what they are doing is they're looking for numbers of people so that they can keep their reputation, their status, wherever it is. But they're not concerned about the souls and conditions of those people. And that that thing grew like a snowball. I mean, first it was one person, now it's more than one, now it's multiple. Pretty much everybody you see on television anymore has a compromised message. I mean, the vast majority of them. They're not preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the ones who are, are inundated with prayer requests. They're inundated with requests for help and all that kind of stuff. The ones that do. It's always just been a handful. Most of them have been religion. But but in the beginning, it wasn't that way. In the beginning, we had who we had. We had Rex Humbard on television in Akron, Ohio. And uh, Ernest Angley, the Holy Ghost guy in Akron, Ohio. And they would preach the, the straight up gospel, forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness of sins. And many of them were not full gospel preachers. You know, they were denominational preachers. But they let you know Jesus would save you if you wanted to turn away from your sin. We don't have that anymore. We've got blessings and compromise. And you can have this. Just send me some money. You can have that. Just send me some money. You can have this. Just send me some money. Yeah, but my my family's not saved, and my kids have run away from home. And you know, so they go over to the channel that offers to pray for people, 
And those people are overwhelmed with prayer requests. CBN, Richard and Lindsay Roberts. Um, there's a couple of local people you might see here and there that open up for prayer. Um, it, they need to have enough money to continue to do what they do, but it somehow never gets diverted to them. You know what I'm saying? That's why we pray and ask God to send money to people who are really preaching the gospel. And so it, it's always going to be that way, folks. The darkness, the night is coming. It's approaching. It's always approaching. No man will be able to work at that time, so you need to ask yourself, what do I do? How do I spend my time? How do I spend my resources? I must work the works of him who sent me because I'm sent to do the works of God while it is day. Man, you get up every morning, you keep wondering, when am I going to pray for somebody? When am I going to, if it gets up, when you get up in the morning, if it's light out there, that means you go do it. Well, I don't know where to go. Just go outside your house. Go start with your cat. Start with your dog. You understand? Get your neighbors. Get whoever. But you let God know you're, you're able and you're willing. Amen. To preach the gospel to every creature. Everybody needs prayer and everybody wants prayer. So that's always an easy open door. Amen. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for understanding. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us to know that you are the God that wants us to do your works. We are imitators of Christ every day. We never get a day off of imitating Christ. So we thank you for that revelation and that understanding in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God.